we got to get this thing rolling. I want to introduce a very, very good friend of mine and a mentor. His name is Dr. Rick Wheeler. Uh, Rick has been uh, serving in uh, the ministry of the Lord for decades. Uh, he is one of the brightest, most godly men that I know. And I want to give you a testimony about Rick uh, before I bring him up here. Um, so my wife and I, Darlene and I, and the kids went to Iowa to plant a church uh, back in 2010. And it was a great experience for us. We really enjoyed it. When we finished with that ministry and felt like God was calling us back to Florida uh, to see what would be next for us, we came off the field sort of broken and, and things didn't necessarily go the way we thought they would up there. God did great things through us in our ministry, but they didn't look the way they thought we would, it would look when we came home. So we came back to the Clearwater area and we were serving at a local church and praying about what God would have next for us. And um, that's when the Lord sent Rick and his wife Camille into our lives and um, Rick met with me and uh, I, I don't think at that point in my ministry I could have designed a better opportunity to serve God than to go and serve with him at the Jacksonville Baptist Association as uh, essentially a, a church planting catalyst helping uh, men and their teams start new churches. Uh, so God sent him into my life at a time when things were, were kind of tough and I didn't know what God would have next. Uh, he took me into his ministry. Um, he is the single best leader uh, developer that I've ever met. Uh, he's also a foreknown uh, four or, or well, and well-respected uh, discipleship and leader um, in our Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so for me to be able to study and learn under him for almost four years was a tremendous blessing. So you all uh, with the Lord called me to come down here. I left him to come here. So if he's mad today, it's the Holy Spirit and your fault. I'm just kidding. Um, so I left the JBA to come down here because that's what God had called me to do. And since that time, uh, the Holy Spirit's moved in Rick's life, and he is currently serving as the president of Florida Baptist Financial Services, which is a wonderful ministry. Uh, he's going to speak a little bit about that um, today and especially this afternoon when we have lunch together. And so Rick is um, led by the Holy Spirit. Um, Camille and Reagan, his wife and daughter, um, are here with him today. Um, they've been here this weekend enjoying some of our Key West uh, attractions. And um, I think he's got a wonderful word for you today. And I just want to ask you to open up your hearts and your minds and your ears to Dr. Rick Wheeler. Thank you. I didn't know Josh Dreyer was going to be the president of my fan club, but that's, that's great. No, uh, you know, one of the Lord's grace gifts in our lives is the people that he brings into our lives. Amen. I mean, God does many good things to us, but one of the greatest things he does for us is he brings uh, his grace gift into our life through people. And certainly the Dreyer family, and I, I emphasize family because they are, if you know one of them, you've got to know all of them. They are a family. Um, they have been such a blessing to us. And yes, you took them from us. And now uh, the, Lord, the Lord sent them here, and we, they go with our blessings here, and, and we're grateful. And it gives us another good reason to come to the Florida Keys. Amen? 
So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians, uh, there uh, right behind the Gospels in the New Testament, and I'll catch up with you there in just a moment. Uh, I want to talk this today, and I'm going to probably use these glasses quite a bit today and just make sure I can see what I'm, I'm saying. Um, I want to talk to you today about a very key aspect of being a disciple of Jesus, and that is being a generous person. Um, you heard Josh talk about it with the kids, that God's graced us with so many good things in our lives. And one of the key aspects of being a mature believer is being a generous person. You see, I believe that when God's people handle God's resources, God's way, God's mission advances, and God gets all the glory. That's my sermon, by the way. I mean, that's a sentence, but when God's people use God's resources, God's way, God's mission advances, and he gets the glory. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so we're really going to hone in on that tonight, or this morning rather. Uh, won't be here quite that long. Um, and if I, if I could sit down with you over a cup of coffee, and, and we will uh, a little bit later, I would share with you a story after story. One of, the, one of the great benefits of what I get to do is to see some wonderful acts of generosity among Florida Baptist churches and Florida Baptist people. Um, in those churches and how many ways God motivates them to be generous and so uh, by the way I think you know this because you're a very active cooperating church but you're part of a network of about 2,900 churches throughout the state of Florida known as the Florida Baptist Convention and a part of that convention is you plant churches you send missionaries you train up pastors and it's a wonderful thing and by the grace of God um, you know he compels us through as a as a convention of churches to give generously, to give sacrificially. And a lot of the people that I've seen be generous and give, they aren't the wealthiest of people. Have you ever noticed that? You know, sometimes wealthy people can be generous, and that's good, but sometimes it's just the, the ordinary, run-of-the-mill people who love the Lord with all their heart. Uh, they don't necessarily have a high financial net worth. They serve their church every day, day in, day out, week in, week out. And I've come to realize and observe that generally, generosity is like a muscle. Now yesterday, Josh hooked me up on a barracuda. Uh, and that barracuda took off, and I had to really muscle that thing in. And it took, and he, we got him to the boat, by the way. I don't have a picture to show you, but we got him to the boat, and then he wiggled off. But I have a witness, Josh showed me. But I had to really use my muscles. Well, can I just tell you today, that bicep's a little bit sore from muscle. We, we caught a lot more fish, didn't we? Uh, but we had to use our muscles. Well, generosity is like a muscle as well. And the more I use it, guess what? The stronger it gets. And the less I use it, the weaker it gets. And so I want to talk about what it looks like to use that generosity muscle. And the passage we're going to look at, Paul is commending to the church at Corinth, the Macedonian believers, as being very generous. And they, they uh, showed what a redemptive faith family looks like that's very generous. They, and I want to talk about generosity um, in such a way that we understand that God can interrupt our lives and, and use generosity in so many ways. It reminds me, there was a call that came in here to the church. Uh, I heard this story uh, about Fifth Street. And uh, the receptionist took the call and it said, uh, um, the, the guy who was calling said, I want to talk to the head hog of the church. And the receptionist was taken back. She said, well, sir, we... We don't call our pastor the head hog. That's, that's not a very respectful title. And uh, you can refer to him as pastor or reverend or even doctor, but not the head hog. 
And the man on the other end of the phone said, oh, well, I'm sorry. You see, I'm a farmer, and I just sold some of my prize pigs, and I want to donate about $20,000 to the church. And the receptionist said, oh, wait, I just think I saw the big pig come right in here. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Pastor Josh would like you to call him a pig, but if you were going to give that kind of money, he might be open to it, okay? All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter, uh, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches at Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction and their abundant joy and their, and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability to their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just what we hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all of your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Lord, we thank you for this particular passage in 2 Corinthians that will help open our hearts. Help us to receive your word, Holy Spirit. Help us to apply it in our lives and live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing about church unity and particularly those who come from a Jewish and non-Jewish background and how they can get along and get together. But right here, and by the way, that was Paul's passion, that the church be unified. That was also Jesus' passion, wasn't it? And he's talking about, in some ways, our finances are how we become unified. And in this text we're looking at, he uses the Macedonian believers as an example of, faith, of a faith family being sacrificial as Paul was helping the Corinthians believers do that as well. He was saying to the Corinthian believers, hey, be like the Macedonians. Look how generous they were. And in our Christian life, we need to sometimes look to examples of other people and say, you know what, that compels me to want to be more generous as well. Now, I'm a simple preacher. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to give you about three. I've just read the text. I'm going to give you about three simple things to do, and then we're going to go have lunch and talk some more, okay? So let's, let's, let me just unpack a couple of ideas, three ideas in particular. First is this. Generous believers outgive their circumstances. You see, God's math doesn't work like our math. God's math says you can outlive your life and you can outlive your circumstances. That's what the Macedonians were doing. The Macedonian believers, by the way, you can go there today. I, I've been there years ago, but I've traveled to this part of the world. The Macedonian Christians are still uh, people who don't have a lot of means. Um, uh, they're very uh, poor in terms of financial but here's what Paul was saying. He said, you know, out of their great poverty, um, they, they had great poverty, and then they had great affliction. You see, in this day, many of the Macedonian believers probably had lost their jobs just for being Christians. They were probably outcast of society, and so not only were they, they had poverty, but then they had affliction. But then God's grace intercepted their life. And you see, that's how God's math works. He said, out of great poverty and great affliction, God's grace comes in, and there's great generosity. 
Now, you cannot make a computer that would come up with a formula like that, but that's how God works. That's how his kingdom works. And it doesn't matter how your circumstances are today. You can be generous. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with whatever God has put into your hands. And look at verse 4. It says that they begged Paul earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the offering. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened here, uh, Pastor Josh, but here's what that means, that, that Paul was like in the second point of his sermon, and they said, okay, Paul, that's enough, that's enough. we got to take up an offering. They, uh, you know, they, they interrupted his ministry and begged him earnestly. By the way, that's never happened to me when I was preaching in a church. But they, they said, no, 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 Paul, stop, stop. we we got to give to this. He said, no, they, they begged us earnestly for the opportunity. They didn't have a lot of means, but they had a big heart. They had the the one thing that they needed, and that was a big heart. You see, it's not even logical, but it's exactly how God works. So, how many times do we beg the pastor to stop preaching so we can take up an offering? Now, look how their, their giving was voluntary and spontaneous. It was grace. It wasn't pressure. See, I, I don't think that leader church leaders ought to guilt people into giving and, and uh, you know pressure people. That's not how God's grace works. You simply make people know, make a, a need known to people, and you let God's work in their lives. And you know what? God's grace not only frees us from our sins, it frees us from ourselves. Because many times what's getting in the way of my generosity to give to God and others is my own selfish desires, my own selfish heart. But aren't you glad that God's grace not only frees you from your sin, but it frees you from yourself? And that applies to us today, doesn't it? I don't know how you walked in here. You may have walked in here and your bank account is looking really good. I mean, it's like, or you may have walked in here and you don't have chicken scratch, you know, going on. That doesn't matter to God. What matters to God in terms of how, what he can use, what matters to God is what you're willing to do. You see, maybe you just need to start giving on a regular basis maybe if you haven't been giving you start small start just build that muscle in your life and here's what i can tell you he will prove himself faithful to meet your needs he will he in fact his word promises that whether big or small let me encourage you to outgive your circumstances just as the macedonian church did and i think we should all have opportunities to do that here's the second thing so not only should we outgive our circumstances generous believers give from the heart they give out of a sense of love. They give out of a sense of compassion that God gives us. Not kind of a conjured up sympathy, but an overwhelming expression of God's grace when it washes over you. It says they gave themselves first to the Lord. You know, giving should never be motivated by external pressure. As I said, we shouldn't be guilting people, we shouldn't be pressuring people. But I believe church leaders should make you aware of needs. And then as the children's message taught us, God loves, what, a cheerful giver. Not someone who's been pressured into an offering. Let me tell you a story about David Livingston, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. It is uh, said that he, you know, he spent his, most of his adult life in Africa and gave his life there. And when he died, he gave very strict instructions that his heart was to be carved out of his body and planted under one of his favorite trees in Africa. And he would send home his body back to England, but that his heart would be planted there because he said his heart 
belong in Africa. That's a powerful testimony, isn't it? Now here's the question. Where will it be said that your heart belongs after all is said and done on your time here on this passing planet? Generous believers have a heart that belongs to the kingdom of God. In verse 8, Paul challenges the Corinthian church by saying he's not asking them, but giving them a test. Of, of the, now, he's not testing their financial capacity, but he's testing the genuineness, get this, of their love. You see, a loving heart is a generous heart. When you go to the cardiologist, I've done this on several occasions, and they want to test your heart, they give you what's called a stress test. They put you on a treadmill and you run until your tongue wags and they test and see how your heart's doing. It is no fun, I tell you, I've, I've had to do it. But it's a good test. You can really t check somebody's heart and their, how their pulse is doing, their blood flow and all of that, their circulation, when you put them under some stress. You know, it's the same thing here. What Paul is giving the Corinthian church, a spiritual heart stress test. And he's seeing how loving their hearts really are. And, the test is one of giving. Now, here's the question. If that test were applied to your life and my life today, what would be said about the condition of our heart? If Jesus really has our heart, then giving would come natural, and it would just be part of the rhythm, the natural rhythm of our lives. And if generosity is a challenge for you, then we should ask, does Jesus really have my heart? We'll move on. Number three. A generous believer gives because Jesus gave first. A generous believer gives because Jesus went first. Aren't you glad that we serve a Savior who always goes first? We talked about Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, a little earlier, Abraham going up. God would never ask someone else to do, and if he provided a lamb, he provided a ram in the thicket, just as he provided his son on a cross for you and for me. And you are never more like Jesus than when you're giving. You know, when you give, you're showing something about the remembrance, your remembrance of the grace that God's brought into your life. Though we may have much in the way of this world's good, are you willing to become just a little bit more impoverished so that others, through your giving, might be made eternally rich? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me get clue you in. You're already rich. All right? Let me just unpack that a little. I think, you, I think you know it, but let me just unpack that and we can celebrate it together. Because you are in Christ, because you are a follower of Jesus, here's one thing. You're rich in forgiveness. Our sins have been forgiven because of the work of Christ on the cross. Our debts have been wiped clean before a holy God. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder how many of the world's richest people would give so much of what they have to have that kind of peace, knowing that their sins are forgiven. But here's another thing. You're rich in fellowship. I know that just from hanging out with you a little bit. You know, some of us have really healthy, great families here on, on, in our lives. Some of us don't. Some of us have very, very you know, dysfunctional families or no family at all. The church is a faith family fellowship. It's a place where you're not like family in a local church. You are family. You're a spiritual family. That's all the church covenant on the wall when we came in. We have made covenants to one another as a local expression of the body of Christ. Here's another thing. You're rich in hope. Isn't it great to be rich in hope? That would have been a really good place to amen. 
Can I just tell you, there's a famine of hope in the world. You don't believe me? Turn on your favorite news channel. Tell me how much hope you're going to get there. Read your newspaper of choice, your social media outlet. Not much hope in the world, not much on the way. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in the local church. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus. You're rich. Did you know that? Do you, you know? You're already rich in faith, you're rich in fellowship, you're rich in, in, in hope. So let me take for um, uh, just a moment, Paul was outlining for the Corinthian church an opportunity. Let me speak to you as part, one congregation of the North American church in the 21st century. A global redemptive possibility right now that's going on. I, I want to tell you kind of a secret. You see, my wife and I, I come down here to Key West, I'm, we live in Jacksonville, so I can come down here and tell you, you know, things I wouldn't say there. Um, that's not true. Um, but my wife and I never give to our local church. No, we don't. I mean, you know, like, well, Rick, you're like the Florida Baptist finance guy. You're supposed to, you know. We give through our local church, all right? Your giving is not a relationship with your church. Your, your, your giving is all about your relationship with the Lord Jesus, now, we give through the local body because we believe that's God's, in his manifest wisdom, he's chosen the local church to steward the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you where we're at right now with that. Jesus said he wants us to go into all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things. We're, we're well on our way, but there's still about 2,000 people groups, unreached, unengaged people groups on the planet who have no access to the gospel or scripture in their heart language. Now, here's the good news. Evangelical, committed, confessional believers, this is a study that, that Ron Blue and, and some other people did, very reliable data, not just people who say they're a Christian, but like people who actually, if you gave them a survey and they said, yeah, I believe the Bible's true, I believe Jesus is the only way to the Father, I'm active in my faith, these kind of things, we steward about, get this, $6 trillion. It would only take about 2% of that to embed missionaries and translate the scriptures into every one of those unreached people groups. Here's what I'm trying to say. We have, from a financial standpoint, we have the financial resources to obey what Jesus told us to do. The question is, are we praying enough? Are we giving enough? And are we going enough? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And he has delegated some of that in, from him, his hands into our hands. The question is, will we be faithful in giving through our local church and touching the world by sharing the gospel? You know, as part of being a Florida Baptist and Southern Baptist church, you send thousands of missionaries, you, you help uh, you know, train thousands of, of pastors and ministers of the gospel. You're a part of that. And all of that, you touch all of that when you show generosity through your local church. So, we have to have a heart to pray, a heart to give, and a heart to go. You know, I don't want to um, give the impression, though, that God's going to sit around and wait on us to fund his mission. He's already ahead of us. The question is, will we be found faithful to be a part of it? It's just like when Esther was confronted by Mordecai. They said, I don't know if you're going to be a part of this or not, but for such a time as this, God has let you have an opportunity to be a part of his redemptive plan 
we get to be a part of his redemptive global mission to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And part of that, not all of it, but part of that is how we express generosity so that missionaries can be sent and trained and the scriptures can be translated and other things can happen so that people hear the gospel. Now, um, earlier I, I mentioned about being a part of a gospel or a generous work of, of Florida Baptist and how I get to see people show generous moments. And can I tell you, I get to be that guy because of my role with Florida Baptist Financial. I get to be that guy that oftentimes I'm standing there like somebody's giving the big check, right? You know that moment where you take the picture and it's like, ah, and it's a great moment, right? And people take the picture and all that. That's a cool moment. But can I tell you the better moment? I get to be in those quiet, maybe at a kitchen table, maybe uh, in a living room or, or at a restaurant somewhere with, with a, a person, a couple, and they're talking about how they want to give. They're talking about how God is stirring in their heart something to, to show generosity. And there's a twinkle in their eye. There, there's something, and here it is, there's that joy of generosity that happens. Can I just tell you, that's a better moment than a big moment with a check. As when you see God stirring somebody's heart. And, and Paul knew this as he was encouraging the Corinthians, and he knows it as we read this passage in 2 Corinthians today. So, I want to show us a, um, a, a, quick, a quick video of just a little bit of how we at Florida Baptist Financial come alongside churches and individuals and help them express generosity by planning how they give a legacy. Can we go ahead and show that? Hopefully it'll show because I'm a terrible interpretive dancer. <laughs> there we go. You and I can expect to spend 70 to 80 years living on earth. That's truly not very long compared to the timeline of eternity. And as Christians, we know we are called to make the most of our time to reach people for Christ. But have you ever thought about what kind of Christian legacy you will leave behind for your family and future generations? At times we can get a little off track, chasing after the things of this world, make more money, buy more stuff, and be more comfortable. We worked hard for it, so we think it's all ours. But is that what the Bible teaches us? Scripture like Psalm 24.1 make it very clear that God is the creator of everything and the owner of everything. But the story does not stop there. In the book of Matthew, Jesus commands us to wisely use everything he has given to us. When we understand that everything belongs to God and that we are asked to manage it for his glory, ownership ends and legacy giving begins. We see all that we have as gifts, not possessions. We realize we are managers, not owners. So every way we spend our money, use our time, deploy our talents is full of powerful kingdom growing potential. What if everyone started looking at everything they have as belonging to God and not themselves? How could that impact the church? How could that impact the world? For most of us, the biggest opportunity we have to be good managers of what God has entrusted to us comes when we die. But we can prepare for that moment today. Today, we can choose to make a legacy giving plan that honors not only our family, but also the one who gave it all to us in the first place. Maybe God is calling you to continue giving to your church or to ministries you love, serve, and support, even after you leave this earth. 
all to be used by him to reach a world that desperately needs Christ. What would happen if we loosen our grip on the things of this world and learn to give back to God with an open hand, both during and beyond our lifetime? But how do you do this? And where do you start? That's where we can help. We can help you create a legacy giving plan that lives well beyond your life here on earth. And what is the result? The result of all of this is Christians who are choosing to use their time, passions, and money with a focus on God. Through legacy giving, Christians are sowing seeds that will bear real kingdom fruit and have an impact into eternity. We'll talk more about that after lunch and, and how we can come alongside and help with some real practical ways. Hey, as we move towards closing, I want to talk a little bit about what are some of the ways, particularly our enemy, likes to get in the way of a generous heart that's moved towards God's kingdom. And I, I'm, I've got three I want to just quick share with you quickly. We'll, we'll run through these pretty quick. But the first one is, is to devalue giving in your family. Can I just tell you, if you're a you're a, a mom, a dad, you're a family leader. No one else is going to teach your children about how to give, about how to be generous. Uh, talk about these things as a family. You know, the Bible mentions finances and resources over 800 times. Jesus taught about financial matters 11 out of the 39 parables. He took a big chunk. He was only here, you know, his teaching ministry was only about three and a half years. He spent so much of that talking about how we steward because he knows there was a direct connection between our heart and our finances and so make sure as a family you are not devaluing what it looks like to be generous talk about where you give how you give and most importantly why you give so talk about uh, that with your family don't devalue it the second one is this you know satan doesn't have to, has to defeat you he just has to distract you he just has to get you off mission for him to win and can I just say, there's a lot in this world to distract us, particularly getting back to talking with our kids. We're in a world that says, get, 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 and have more, more, more. And the Bible comes along and teaches us something completely different. It says, no, Jesus' heart is, has open hands, and it's a giving life. It's a life of investing and a life of serving and a life of giving. And so don't get distracted by the, the earthly pressures and the earthly things that satan would have us you know when when satan wanted to to tempt jesus he took him up and said you can have all this if you'll just bow. he does the same he's not creative he's just crafty okay and satan will try the same thing on you that he tried on jesus don't fall for it don't be distracted from god a godward focus in your life if i'm more worried about that next financial milestone or that next thing that i want to buy than I am time in God's word and, and, and really prayer and understanding God's will for my life, it will not be long before I do not have a Godward focus in my life. So be careful about distraction. Last thing is don't get defeated. Can I just, can, 2020 was hard. 2021 has not let up. All the things that we as a country, as a church, as people of faith have been through are not small things. Let, let's, be, let's be really clear about that but we serve a risen savior it was said at the beginning of the service that's who we're here to worship today he's in the world today i know that he is with me whatever men may say right that's that's who we serve don't ever get defeated believer i got news for you you got a great future it's already prepared god's bringing it to us we just have to be ready to receive it so don't devalue generosity don't get distracted 
And please never get defeated. Now, practical application time. I think any time the gospel's preached and the, the, the word is open, we ought to talk about how we put it into practice. Amen? So I realize that when we talk about uh, how we handle finances, there's, there's some fear and there's, you know, because we're talking about a spiritual discipline in our life. And, and you may be like me and you just need some real practical steps. So here's what I'm asking. If you've never been just a regular giver to the Lord through your local church, and Josh doesn't know what I'm saying here. We, you know, he knew I was going to preach a, a generosity, a stewardship message, but he doesn't know what I'm saying here. Can I just encourage you, if you've never been an, an actual regular giver, to the, just start. He said, well, Rick, I don't have it. Just start. How much? I don't know. Pray about it. <laughs> you know, read the scriptures and pray and see what God would lead you. And like I said earlier, God will make sure that your needs are met. And what's more important, you'll have a joy that you hadn't experienced before. It'll happen. God's word promises it. Um, you may not be have as much money for $4 coffees at Starbucks, okay? Um, I did notice you have a Starbucks here. Uh, yeah, there's some real, you're talking about sacrifice. Yes, I am. Because the Christian life is a, sacrifice, a life of sacrifice. So, just as Paul offered the redemptive family in Corinth an opportunity to show generosity, here's your moment. Maybe you've been giving regularly and, and you say, well, maybe the Lord's calling us to a new level or a new way of giving. Uh, maybe there's some practical things that we can talk about that can help you with that. So, um, that's my message here today. When God's people do God's work, God's way, God's kingdom advances, and God gets all the glory. Sometimes, Pastor Josh, I think when we don't know what to do with a, with a quote, we give it to Martin Luther. Uh, but I think Luther said this. Luther's pretty, pretty famous for saying a lot of things. But one of the things that he said that's really stuck with me over the years, Luther said this, in life, there are only two days that matter. There are only two days that matter. This day, the day that the Lord has given us to live today, and that day. That day when all will be made new, when he will wipe away all tears. Can I just tell you, that day is coming. And the question is for us, what day will we live in? What day will be meaningful to us? Will I live this day in light of that day or, as can happen, we get distracted, we get defeated, we get off mission, and, and I start to, to think about that day in light of the circumstances of this day. The trouble, the anxiety, the stress, all of those, and those are real. But can I tell you, the older I get, the more I walk with Jesus, the more, hear me, the more I want to live this day in light of that day. It matters. And you see, when I'm living this day in light of that day, I can be generous because it's all his. He's given us something to steward, a life to, to manage, a life to live, but it belongs to him. It all came from him. It's all going back to him. It's all going back in the box. So let's live this day in light of that day. And that means that our hearts are right before a holy God. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to have a time for you to do that right now. Because the most important decision that you can make is to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's already done everything that needs to happen. But we have to accept that truth. We have to live that truth and live in that truth. So I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. 
we're going to be led to sing a song called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. What a great way to end a message like this. And so when we do, I hope that is not just the, the song of your lips, but that's the attitude of your heart. If you need to come up here and pray, this altar will be open. Pastor Josh will be here to pray with you. I'll be up here. Whatever you need to do today, let today be the day that God wins, that God has authority over your life. There's never been a better time to do the right thing than right now. So let's pray. Jesus, this day is yours. And this day matters so much because of that day. And Lord, we long for that day when you come to bring us home. But until then, Lord, may we be found faithful in this day. Lord, our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, convict us of anything that we need to do so that when we walk out of here, our life is centered and focused completely on you. Lord, take this time and use it for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. As we sing, won't you?